Let's read. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered one increases rebellion. Mockers inflame a city, but the wise turn away from anger. A king's fury is a messenger of wrath, but a wise person appeases it. A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. A wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. A quick-tempered person acts foolishly, and the one who schemes is hated. Don't make friends with an angry person, and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. A person with intense anger bears the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. The north wind produces rain and a backbiting tongue angry looks. Better to live in the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. We'll get to what that means <laughs> later. Father, women are here. The one who has knowledge restrains his word, and one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. Patience is better than power, and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. A person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. A king's rage is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Let's pray. Father, um, your word does not hide the fact that you are a God that feels anger every day, God. But your anger is not like ours, and for that we're grateful, Lord. Help us to see where ours goes off the rails and help us to see um, how yours is right and true and how it's such a good thing, Father. I pray that you would make us a church full of the right kind of anger so that we do what it is that you've called us to do in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to go ahead and take your seats. Um, if it's your first time or you're new here, you haven't been with us throughout this fall. We spent time, um, and our goal has been to go through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that's written to give you and I this thing that's called wisdom. Wisdom is just this skillful living, right? The book of Proverbs is written because of this truth, and the truth is this. Uh, good character doesn't protect you from making bad choices. You can be as moral, as upright as you want to, but if you make wrong decisions and wrong choices about how to do things, even though you have a good desire to do very good things, you can mess up your life and everybody else's life around you. So we're given the book of Proverbs to help you and I learn how it is that we're to live. And thus far, we've talked about wisdom in our actions, right? How we use our words, how we make decisions, how we listen, how we work, money, how it is that, that, that we choose friends. But what we're going to spend our time on today um, is not so much decisions that we have to make, but emotions that we have to manage. 
And the reason why I bring that up is because uh, managing your emotions is more important than the decisions that you make because it's actually your emotions that drive all the decisions that you make. And I think there's no more important emotion for us to get a handle of than anger. Anger is quite possibly the most misunderstood emotion. And because it's misunderstood, it's misused. And because it's misused, um, it's abused. And when it's abused, it does lots of damage. So we're going to start off just so that I can help us see um, how much I think we misunderstand anger is we're going to play a little word association game. Right? We're going to start off, I'm going to say a word the and you just say the first uh, word that comes to mind, and I suspect that we'll all be on the same page um, with the first two. If I say up, what's the first word that comes to mind? Down, right? If I say um, left, what's the first word that comes to mind? Right, right. If I say anger, what's the first word that comes to mind? Oh, oh, we're not on the same page, right? Sad, happy, love. There's all of these words that come to mind, but let me tell you this. When it comes to anger, there is no more important word than control. If I ask you to write a sentence about your life using both of those words, the way that you use those words will tell me pretty much all that I need to know about your life. If anger is in control in your life, I can guarantee you that your life will be out of control. The only hope that we have to live lives that have any type of control is, is not if anger is in control, but if anger is in fact controlled. To be wise in this world, you have to learn how to control your anger. And what makes it so tough is there's lots of things that make it so tough, but there's one counselor that puts it like this. He says, anger flares too quickly, alienates too many relationships, burns too long, causes too much pain, hides too well, and feels too good. If we're going to be wise, we have to know how to control our anger. And so what I want to do is I want to walk us through what Proverbs has to say about anger. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes we, we come to uh, subjects like this and what starts to go on in our mind and our heart is we have a whole bunch of questions, things that we want to be resolved about anger uh, that one sermon can't do, right? Proverbs is going to tell us not all that there is to know about anger, but I do think one of the most important things that there is to know. So it's going to feel for a lot of the time like we're flying at 33 thousand feet but I think the most important thing is we have to understand it once we really get what it is then we can use it rightly and we can protect it from its abuse and I think there's at least three things that we learn about anger from the book of Proverbs and the very first one is this if you have your sheets there it's just this anger is catastrophic anger is catastrophic um the reason why I use that word is not just because all my points are going to start with C and I had to try hard to find one, although that is the case. The reason I use that word is because um, any other word is too soft to talk about what anger really, really does. Anger is worse than bad. 
It does more than just destroy things. It brings catastrophe, right? Think of the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. That is a catastrophe. That's what anger does. There's those of us here in this room that have experienced those personal Hiroshima's in our life that decades later we still can't move past because we're angry. Anger is catastrophic and it comes on all fronts. Look here at the first three uh, texts here. It says this, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person increases rebellion. Mockers inflame a city, but the wise turn away from anger. A king's fury is a messenger of death, but the wise appease it. You see the progression? Just starts off with conflict, then a city set on fire, and then death comes at, at the end. It starts off, and it doesn't even, uh, uh, it, it, it starts off in this first verse, describes uh, what an angry person brings or what they do. It's not just somebody that gets angry, but somebody that is so characterized by it. And we all know folks like this that are angry at nothing in particular, but everything generally. Right? That every difference of opinion turns into an opportunity for a fight. And what he's saying is you know, it, 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 it starts here and it's not just going to be a conflict. Anger does this. It sets cities on fire. It's not a hyperbole when he'll use this. What you'll find out is you go back through history and you'll find out that there have been some great fires that have destroyed cities. Rome, 64 A.D., fire that lasted for five days and destroyed 10 of the 14 districts. London, in 1212, huge fire hit. And it burnt down London Bridge. People ran a across the bridge to get away from the fire and got trapped by it and were burned to death. In Chicago in 1871, there was a large fire that left 100,000 people homeless. And what's in common with these fires, what anger has in common with these fires, is you go back in all of these cases, and nobody can objectively uh, trace what the start of the fire was. But everybody can trace the catastrophe that it brought. Same with anger. Y'all know how this is. To not know what caused it, but to just see catastrophe left in its wake. 29.8, right? Mockers inflame a city, that there's this way where anger can be passed on when somebody spends their time mocking somebody else. So when things go bad, instead of using the platforms that they have to calm tensions, they stoke fuel. And this is not meant as an indictment or an insult, just an illustration, we live in a country where the president, the person with the highest office, uses his personal platform to insult people. And what does that do? What he's saying is it, it inflames 
cities. Anger is catastrophic. The effects linger, even if you don't know what the cause is. But here's what it does. It doesn't just affect others. It affects you. Look here at uh, Proverbs 25, 28. A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Vulnerable. The most important thing back in these days for a city was their walls. When danger hit, people ran to get behind the walls to protect themselves. If the walls were broken down, there was no means of protection. And what he says is the person that's controlled by anger is like a city with no walls. Vulnerable. And not just that, but he, he goes on and says this, they're careless or gullible. 14, 16, a wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. Quick-tempered person acts foolishly, and one who schemes is hated. Gullible, what's that? Well, first of all, did you know gullible is not even a real word? It's not in the dictionary. You can go there and find it. You can't find it. If you believe what I said, that's gullibility, right? <laughs> no, listen. Yo, yo, listen to the point that I'm trying to make. Listen to the point that I'm trying to make. What he's saying is that you can be so angry that it leads you to do things that are careless. I've, I've got a friend who's been in the political sphere um, for a bit, and what he says is, John, I've been in rooms where folks come into a room. There are a group of people that have a vote that they can use for their good, and somebody will come in and make them angry at another political party and stir up this rage, and he says rage is easily manipulated. I've seen people vote to do things that are going to bring them harm because they were just so mad that the only thing that they could see was they wanted to get at the other person. And so what he's saying is anger is catastrophic because even when you're in control, you may choose the very thing that's wrong for you. Being mad is not just a word that's used for being angry. It's a word that's used for describing insanity. And sometimes it's one and the same. Have you ever been so mad that you cool off and then you look back and say, I can't believe that I said that. Why did I do that? Why did I act that way? We've all been there, right? Have you done it more than once? Yeah. Anger drives us when it's in control to do things that we wouldn't do. Have you ever been so mad at somebody and then you forgot that you were mad at them? You forgot why you were mad at them, but then when you saw them, you knew, but I'm mad at you and I just have to be mad? What that is, is, is it's us being controlled by anger, saying, I don't know why I'm mad, but I'm just going to be mad because anger says so. 
Anger destroys marriages. It ruins friendships. Just a moment of it causes damage that is irreparable. There was a story in the AJC of a guy who got his car nicked. So he gets in his car, chases down the guy that nicks his car. Words get exchanged. He steps out of the car. They get into a fight. He gets beat up. His arm is hurt. Now he's got to go to PT for months to fix his arm. And his car, yeah, it could have been a quick fix if he just let it go. But anger, when it's in control, it's easy for our life to get out of control, but you don't need me to tell you that. Y'all know that, right? You may be sitting next to somebody right now that you're angry, bothered, frustrated, irritated, whatever noun you want to use to be there. We know how catastrophic it is, but we still feel it. Here's the other thing that we learn. Anger is not just catastrophic. That's not the hard thing to work past. Anger's contagious. Anger's contagious. Uh, this past week, our daughter uh, had strep throat, so we go to the doctor, they give her a shot, and they said, keep her away from kids for 24 hours. There's no immunity to strep throat. She can give it to anybody. The best thing that you can do is to quarantine her. Look at the advice that the author gives right here in this middle column when he talks about the danger of anger. He says this, yep, don't make friends with an angry person and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. A person with intense anger bears the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. Two things. He's like, anger's like wet paint. You brush up against somebody that has it, and it's going to rub off. He'll even go so far, y'all, we're spending time here because I really just want you to listen as the author is trying to teach us how to walk wisely. When he talks about the danger of anger, he says it's so contagious that the advice that he gives is if it's somebody that's always angry, even your attempt to give them aid is going to hurt both them and you. That sometimes people are so angry and it's so contagious that the best thing, the most wise thing for you to do is to quarantine yourself because the only thing that's going to change them is for them to experience hurt. Now, that's a complex thing. There's lots of stuff that we have to work through, and we can't get into all of that right now. But I just want you to see the point that he's trying to make is anger. It's not just destructive. It rubs off. It's so contagious that you and I have to be cautious the people that we try to bring close or get close to. But not just that. Look, it, it goes on and says this. The north wind produces rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share the house with a nagging wife. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. Let me explain that one real quick. Um, 
Proverbs was written primarily to young boys that were preparing to grow up and lead. So as the author was writing, it was primarily to like a boy's college or a boy's school. So the reason why he's going to bring all this stuff about uh, wives is because he's primarily writing to males here, but I think the, the same truth uh, uh, applies, and it can go both ways, that the point that he's trying to make is when it comes to choosing your spouse, anger is something that you really want to be mindful of. Right? There's lots of things that we have on our list. You know, she's got to be fine. You know, he's got to be handsome. You know, funny, sense of humor. And anger sometimes gets left off as if, oh, I've seen them get mad at all the rest of the folks, but there's no way that they're going to get mad at me. But what he said, no, no, it's so important that the advice that he's going to give here is that God created us for community. The Bible's constantly going to say it's better to be with somebody else than to be by yourself. But what he's saying is when it comes to somebody that's controlled by anger, it is better for you to quarantine them and for you to go and live up on the roof. It's better for you to face life's storms with no shelter than a spouse's storm in a mansion. The reason why he says this is your um, uh, quick tempers lead to very short relationships. That's why anger and marriage do not go together. But this is the beauty of when the Bible talks about Christ's relationship with his church. It's going to use marriage. Jesus himself, God, has always had a bride of people that nag and grumble and complain. But do you know what God is? He's slow to anger. He's patient. He doesn't go on a rooftop. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. I think as we read all of these two, one thing that you and I need to be cautious of, especially when we talk about anger being contagious, is this. Even if it doesn't come out from you, anger is going to come for you or at you. And just, just a brief word of caution, especially as we engage uh, in the day and age where there's constantly like social media and streams and people sharing their opinion and frustration and anger, that stuff rubs off. Negativity is like wet paint. You can't just stay around it all the time and be okay. Have, have you ever been in your house and had a perfectly good mood? You get online, you get on Twitter, you get on Instagram or the news feed, and you just start scrolling, and then you're done, and you feel like, why am I so angry? I was in such a good mood. Anger's contagious. But you know that. It's nothing new. Here's something that may be new for you, depending on how you understand anger. We've just talked about how catastrophic it is, how it will ruin you and every relationship that you have. We've talked about how contagious it is, how it will rub off 
on a bunch of folks. So the natural inclination of us on the inside is to say, well, I'm not angry. I don't want to be angry. I want to avoid it at all costs. It's a bad thing. We live as if anger is, is wrong. But I want you to hear this. Anger is not bad. Anger is not wrong. Anger is, in fact, the it is a very right reaction to something that's wrong. Right? We do ourselves a disservice if we label emotions good or bad. Because as soon as you do that, do you know what you do? You decide what to do with an emotion before you even know why it's there. And emotions are signposts. They're meant to point us to something. If you get mad and you think or you feel like most of us do that anger means sadness or it's a bad thing, then what you'll do is you'll stuff it down and say, no, no I'm not mad. No, no I'm not going to let anybody get to me. No, no, I'm not mad. And we leave it alone and treat it like it's a bad thing, but for you and I to treat anger like a bad thing, it's not just or, or like a wrong thing, or like we don't get mad, it's not just wrong, it's actually impossible. To be angry is for you and I to be alive in a broken world. All anger does is it says this, this isn't right. Something has to be done. If there is no anger, there is no justice. To be human and to be alive in a broken world is to be eventually angry at something. Look here at this third point. Anger is catastrophic. Anger is contagious. But anger is constructive when it's controlled. Anger is constructive when it's controlled. Look here at the words that are used. I'm just going to highlight the words on that last row. The one who has knowledge, listen, restrains his words. It's going to go on and say he keeps a cool head. 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, look, but one slow to anger causes strife. It doesn't say somebody with no anger is it somebody that's slow to anger? 16.32. Yo, patience is better than power. And look, controlling one's emotion than capturing a city. Self-control is better than world domination. That's what it's saying right here. 19.11. A person's insight gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Look down there at that last one. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Those words, restrained, keeps a cool head, slow to anger, patience, overlooks an offense. When the Bible talks about anger in that light, do you know who it's more often describing than not? God. To deny anger is for you to deny the dignity 
of somebody created in this world to reflect God in this world. The person who says, I don't get mad, may as well say, I'm not alive. They're uninformed at best or living in denial. They're denying the fact that God made us to reflect him. And anger is something that he has placed and left inside of us so that you and I can do good and fulfill our purpose here in this world. Anger is the right reaction to wrong. If you live and say, I'm not mad, I don't get mad at anything, then that means one of two things. One, it means that you don't love anything. Anger is an expression of love. I love what's right. There's something that has violated that right thing. There's something that is violating that right thing right now. There's something that could potentially violate that right thing. And I feel it so deeply that I can't just carry on with a smile. Or it means that you live in denial. You live as if we live in a world that has no problems. And I don't think anybody lives or feels that way. John Chrysostom, who was an ancient church father that was angry and frustrated by the way that the church at the time was uh, pimping and prostituting poor people for their own agenda, felt this deep anger. And what he says is this, He that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence, and it incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. It is very wrong to feel pleasure or indifference when something is going very wrong with the world. Story from the Bible. Genesis chapter 34. Jacob, who's supposed to be a father of the faith. In Genesis 34, Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. Jacob moves into this town. The folks from this town rape his daughter. His sons look to Jacob. Do you know what Jacob does? Nothing. As a result of not doing anything, not being angry to a very real wrong, do you know what the 12 sons do? They carry out a lot more than justice, but vengeance. They don't do justice in repaying an eye for an eye. But what they do is all the males in this whole town, they round them up and they kill them all. Then Jacob comes in. And then he gets angry. Do you know why he gets angry? Because they have just attacked what he loved. Not his daughter, but his chance for respect and approval. He goes to his sons and he's mad at them and he says, look at what y'all have done. Now don't you know that they'll never like me? 
Anger reveals what it is that we value. Anger reveals our true love. And when our true love is off, anger is destructive. But I want you all to hear this. Anger is meant to be something that's very constructive when it's controlled. Every revolution that has existed in the history of the world has begun with anger. Think of the civil rights movement. When the sit-ins took place. Do you think that they weren't angry? They're angry as they're getting spit on. They're angry as they're getting called all these types of names. But like Proverbs 19 11, they control that. A person's insight gives him patience. And his virtue is to overlook an offense. They were captured by love for something greater that enabled them to control their anger. You think of marriage, and you think of how many marriages have lasted through infidelity through harsh words, through emotional and verbal abuse. Do you think anger was just not present or it vanished? No. But it was controlled. There was a love for something greater that enabled that control to take place. When it comes to anger, Either you control it, or it's going to control you. And we all can sit back here and say, all right, I don't want bad anger, I want good anger. But bad anger doesn't just vanish, and good anger doesn't just happen. If anger is about love, then the way that you and I control our anger is by challenging our love. When we get angry, instead of being controlled by it and immediately deciding what to do, do you know what we should do? Take a step back and ask ourselves a few questions. And you ask yourself a few questions and what you'll find out is that you'll get down to what it is that you love. Why am I angry? Because they insulted me. Because they didn't do what I said because they didn't give me the affection that I wanted, because they weren't considerate in the way that I hoped that that they would be. All of those things are good things. But I think we get angry, not just because we want good things, but we want good things too, too much. When your desire for good things, start to become demands. It's not just that it would be nice to have, but it's that I have to have it. When your requests start to become rights, it's not just that I want them to consider me, but I have to have it. Then what it takes place, every offense is going to feel like something, is going to feel like an attack, on your very personhood. And anger is just going to boil. 
if you live in a world where you're the star of that world that you live in, then there's going to be ample reasons for you to be upset and angry. If you live in a world where you see yourself as the most important person in that world, your kids are going to drive you to the brink of insanity because they won't agree with you on that assessment. How do we change? I think we change by reminding ourselves anger is not just something that we stuff away. It's not just something that we suppress. It's not just something that we try to deny. It's something that we look and see in God and say, it's a very, very good thing. And then we look at that God and say, all right, how is it good? And what you'll find out when it comes to God is that Psalms 7 says this, God is angry with evil every day. So you think that you know anger, but you think about God who sees everything. Every slight, every injustice, every bad word spoken, everybody taken advantage of. And since God is the one that made this whole world, all of those things are personal offenses and slights to Him. God doesn't just want justice. God doesn't just want respect. He doesn't just want worship. He demands it because it's His. And think about it. God sees it all. All the time, every day. And the Bible is clear that God feels anger all the time. And listen, God has never lost His temper once. If God lost His temper one time, just once, just Ah, ah, I didn't want to do that. Everything would crumble. We look at the Bible, right? And you'll have folks that say, man, I can't read the Old Testament because it seemed like that the God there was just angry and vengeful and He was this God of hate. And what they don't take into account is the instances that you see there of God's wrath being expressed are snapshots against the backdrop of thousands of years of what I just expressed. The Old Testament is not a story of an angry God. It's the story of a gracious God who should and could and in justice should have done much more. But He's patient and the Bible is constantly going to say, no, no, God's slow to anger. And if you don't catch on from that, then what God says is, I'm so angry at the sin that takes place. I'm so angry at people that live controlled by their anger. Do you know what he does? He comes into this world as a man. And not just a man, but a poor man. A man who will be taken advantage of, disrespected, spit on, hurt, blasphemed, talked about. And Jesus lives this life full of, of the very same anger that God had expressed. Full of the anger and the ability to judge this world. And He never lost 
his temper won. You may say, well, John, there's this time that he flipped over tables in the thing and started a whip, folks. It really seemed like he lost it there. He didn't lose it. It was calculated. He saw, he walked into a temple, a place where the poor should have been cared for and ushered towards God, and he saw people using God's house to pimp and prostitute the poor, and what he says is God takes this as an offense, and I want you all to feel this. But he lived his life being insulted. You go to John 8, and what you'll find in a very subversive way, the Pharisees get mad at him, and they call him a bastard. They talk about him and his, and his mom. Those are fighting words, if there ever was some. And Jesus is patient. Slow to anger. He finds himself as a man that was peaceful his whole life. And then when they come to arrest him, they come violently. Peter gets mad, takes a sword, cuts off somebody's ear. And Jesus says, Peter, chill. Picks up the ear and he heals this man, does good to the enemies of God. You think Jesus wasn't angry? You think your blood boils about being disrespected. Jesus lived his whole life being personally disrespected and witnessing how the earth disrespects God. You think that he wasn't angry? Anger was the reason that he came into the world. Because what he loved, the people that he loved, were being ravaged by sin. The people that he loved, the people that he created, you and I, because of the sin inside of us, were enemies of God, and in God's anger and justice, he was convinced, he was compelled, he was moved to destroy every one of his enemies once for all. But I want you to see the beauty of Jesus' anger. Jesus has, or one day will, destroy every one of his enemies. The Bible says this, that all of us were enemies of God. Reason for his anger. We've all done things in our past that have made somebody else's life a living hell based on the way that we've misused our anger. So what that means is we've all personally offended God by the way that we haven't cared for the people that He made. Which means that all of us in our past have set ourselves up as enemies of God. And Jesus comes into this world, hear this, to destroy the enemies of God, but look at how He does it. He does it on the cross. God has this anger that one day He's going to let out fully, and Jesus says this, God, there's a group of people that are your enemies and I want to destroy them 
But here's how I want to destroy them. I want to destroy them by making them your friends. Jesus' death on the cross is this. Taking the anger of God for you and I so that you and I have been destroyed as God's enemies. Abraham Lincoln says this. The best way to destroy an enemy is to make somebody your friend. On the cross, Jesus rejects all conventional wisdom that's found here in Proverbs. Jesus makes friends with angry people and accepts their fate, knowing that he's going to have to help them again and again. Jesus rubs shoulders with angry people, knowing that by being in the mix, He's going to have to accept their fate. And he does it, and on the cross, he takes God's wrath. He dies for our sin. He doesn't ignore what's wrong, like Jacob, and just act like things are all good. But he doesn't take retaliation and vengeance too far, like Jacob's son. Instead, He pays for our sin so that you and I can become God's friends. And let me tell you this, all the stuff about anger is absolutely true. Anger is catastrophic. It is going to completely wipe out everything. And I want you to know this, as a virtue of Jesus dying for our sins, what that means is that all of God's anger towards you that have put your faith in Christ has been completely burned up? Do you live as if God has no more anger for me? Do you live as if, no, no, so many of us relate to God as if we're still trying to, to, to pay for His anger? Do you live as if what Jesus did was absolutely true? Do you live as if the anger that you had towards God, the the sin that caused all of this anger towards God, do you live as if the the fire of God's love burns all of that down to the ground? So now as you think about God, all that you think about is peace and life and joy. And I know I disappoint him, but he knows that I would disappoint him. And it's so I don't have to relate to him as somebody that I'm trying to work to to gain his love. His love was expressed in his anger towards sin on his son on the cross so that you and I wouldn't live as if we're enemies of God trying to earn our way back into his doorstep, but that you and I get to live as friends. And this anger is contagious, y'all. Jesus' anger teaches you and I how to be angry at the right things for the right reasons. I say all of that and I bring it up. There's so much more that can be said about anger, but I want you to know at the end of the day, we do not want our anger to be erased. A church that is not angry with the broken world that we live in is a church that will do no good in the world that we live in. We're bothered and we should be. We should be angry at the countless kids in the state 
of Georgia that do not have a home. We should be angry at the fact that we live in a world where sometimes kids as young as one or two years old are taken from their homes at 2 a.m. because it's unsafe and placed in a new home. Can you imagine what it would feel like you right now with your rhythms and your life and all that you know to be taken from your home right now as you are moved across the country where you don't know a single person and you have to start this brand new life and you have language to be able to process all of that. Imagine kids that don't have language to process it. What does that do inside of they, they grow up with this angst and this anger. And for people that know what God did for us, people that were spiritually orphans, and God made us family, if you hear that and aren't angry, then what do you love? But if we rehearse what it is that God has done to us, then you know what you and I do? We can be free to be angry, angry about things like that, but angry in the right way. That we should be angry about marriages that are torn apart by infidelity because we love what God's trying to do through marriage in the world. We should be angry at the way the poor are mistreated in our world. We should... Be angry at the way that the church is distracted. Listen, church, I'm not trying to tell you don't be angry. I'm trying to tell you be angry, but about the things that God is angry about because it's an expression of His love. Four things, four ways that you and I can learn to control our anger, and that's it. One, you and I have to learn to admit our anger Anger is a good thing. It's a God thing. We don't have to go around life saying, I ain't mad. You are mad. We're all mad. And it's a good thing. We can admit it because anger is something that God himself has. But we don't just stop there. We analyze it. Once you admit that you are, then you can say, why am I angry? Am I angry because I'm the star of the show and I feel like this is a slight against me? Or have I been freed to know there is something and someone better to love than myself? And I'm angry because his plan, his will, his agenda of destroying his enemies by making them his friends is somehow being impeded by the way the poor are mistreated. Words are spoken. Marriages crumble. And once we analyze it, what's wrong, then we adjust it. You and I can start to adore the right thing. Can start to look at Christ and not rehearse people's faults against us. We don't rehearse people's offenses against us, but we can rehearse the gospel, the good things that God has done for us to free us from our anger, and then we can aim it, send our anger flying to do the very thing that God did for us. I was reading this past week one of my favorite sermons by Dr. Martin Luther King on forgiveness. And here's what he says about forgiveness. And tell me, 
if you don't see a man that is both full of anger and full of love at the same time? He says this, to our most bitter opponents. We all have people that we feel like make us angry. So insert them here. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double one. Jesus has done this for us, y'all, and every instance that somebody offends you is an opportunity for you to not to ignore the problem, to be angry with it if it's not right. But anger is a dish that's best, best served with love and forgiveness right alongside it. The best way for us to destroy our enemies is to make them our friends. And the way that we do that is the same way that the Lord has done it with us, offering forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you um, for the gift of anger, the fact that it um, helps to steer us towards making uh, what's wrong in this world right. I pray that you would help us to be those that aren't controlled by anger, but those that control it, Father. Help us not to react to every slight that is taken against us. Help us to see the bigger picture, Father. So interpersonally, I pray that you would help us to serve and to love and to forgive and to move past minor of offenses for your glory. Give us the courage to call them out and give us the compassion to forgive, Lord. Systemically in our world, would you... Help us, Lord, to be fueled by the fact that things are not what they should be, but fill us with the patience to endure as long as we have to, to make things as they should be, Father. I pray our anger would be like yours, one that's slow to come up and one that's filled with patience, mercy, love, and forgiveness. We ask that you would do this for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.